the morning. God's good, isn't he? I prepared this message. Well, I felt my heart was first burdened with this message a couple of months ago. And I've been preparing it, thinking about it, chewing on it. And I come in this morning and all the words that have been given this morning are like, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Particularly yours, Joel, was about unlocking of the heart. That is really the essence of what I've been talking about today. So I'm talking on, the, on David, the last in the series. And the first thing I need to do is deface the nice graphic that Stuart's made for us because I need to add to it. We've got shepherd, warrior, poet, king, but I want to add servant on the end there, a servant heart. I wanted to explore David's servant heart today. And the passage I've been given to preach on is the one where David is hiding in the cave, hiding for his life because King Saul is searching him out and trying to kill him. But before we get into that, a little recap so we know how he got to that place. King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. And he was okay to begin with. And then it went a bit pear-shaped. And God was like, okay, you're out. I'm going to bring someone who is better. And he found David. And at the age of 17 or so, David was anointed as king. But he didn't become king until he was 30. He had to wait. And also at that sort of age was the time that he beat uh, Goliath. And then he went into the service of Saul, the king, and served in his household. But the trouble was, he was brilliant. Everything he did for the king, he excelled at because God blessed him. And Saul, as Catherine pointed out a few weeks ago, was really insecure. So he had this really difficult relationship within, between the king and David. And the relationship got worse and worse. And basically, King Saul, in his insecurity, attempted to kill David, repeatedly, numerous times, some of them subtle, some of them more direct. And eventually it came to the point where uh, David's wife, who was actually Saul's daughter, said, look, David, the king is sending men to you tonight to kill you. Run for your life. So he literally runs for his life and ended up doing a game of cat and mouse with Saul. This is a map I found on the internet and this, it's, the quality is not fantastic. Um, there's 15 points, it shows on the map there. Um, and if you read through the passages of where David is running away from Saul, this is the journey he took, literally running around in circles away from Saul. The, uh, the scale here is not very clear, but that's naught and 15 miles. So it gives you sort of an idea of probably about 50, 60 miles area there. And this was probably done on foot. And the time scale... Again, the Bible is not particularly clear on this. Uh, probably months going into years that this, this process was taking place. So, we're looking at when uh, David was hiding in the cave. There we go. Lovely. Right. So, David's in the cave, and he's got 600 men, so it's obviously a big cave, and they're all hiding at the back of the cave, and Saul has finally caught up with them. This is the point at which the cat and mouse game has reached the point where they're, they're head to head, and Saul is outside. He doesn't know that David is actually in that particular cave, and he needs to go to the toilet. So David's at the back of the cave, hiding at the back, and then who should come in the front of the cave? It's Saul. And at that point... His men are like, 
look, this is what God promised. He's going to hand your, he promised that he would hand your enemy over to you. Look, there he is, right in front of us. Go and get him. But he doesn't go and get him. What he does instead, he, David, he wants to make peace. He's scared for his life. There's 3,000 men outside. That's a five to one ratio of his 600 men inside. But he doesn't kill him. He, instead, he has a plan. He goes up and he chops off the corner of his robe. Now, you might think, how did he do that? The guy's going to the toilet and he chops off the robe. How did he not get noticed? Um, one of the commentaries I read was that, uh, of course, there were 3,000 men outside the mouth of the cave. So it wasn't going to be a, a quiet, still cave and a little bit of dripping water in the background. There's going to be a lot of hustle and bustle. So he chops off the robe and then goes back to his men. And his men are basically saying, um, go and kill him. Kill him. You what are you doing? Why are you chopping his robe? Go and chop his head off. Let's move forward. There they go. Um, but David's reaction to this is, no way. This, he's actually feeling guilty just for chopping his robe off, which is nothing, really. And he's going, there's no way I'm going to hurt the Lord's anointed. Absolutely no way. He stands up to his men. He was saying, chop his head off. Get rid of him. No. I'm going to do it God's way. Saul finishes. He goes outside. And David runs out after him. And he, he, he's holding the robe. And he, he's prostrate in front of the king. And he's, he's basically trying to make peace. And he said, look, I could have killed you. I've chopped your robe off to prove it. I did not kill you. I did not kill you. And he basically challenges Saul to the heart. He challenges his, him, his morals. And Saul is clearly cut to the heart. And he's like, uh, actually, yeah, you're right. Actually, and you should have killed me. That would have been the tactical thing to do. But you didn't. And Saul and David make peace. And they go their ways. So the two things I want to draw out of this passage is one... David, tactically speaking, really should have killed Saul on the spot. And he would have been king the next day, the next week, and that would have been simple, wouldn't it? But he doesn't choose to do it his way. He doesn't choose to do it the obvious way. He goes, no, I'm doing it God's way. And the other thing I want to pull out of this passage is, again, the timing is not so clear, but it's obvious that he doesn't become king anytime soon. So not only is he doing it God's way, he's doing it in God's timing. He's saying, your way, God, your timing, God. So I want to just do a quick character analysis of David compared to Saul. Okay, so let's look at Saul first of all. Um, I'm picking out some of his character traits from... 1 Samuel 15, which is nine chapters ahead of, of the cave situation. This is pre-David, before David comes on the scene. And they basically, the whole of chapter 15, um, as a battle had taken place, at the start of the chapter, uh, God has commanded Saul to attack the enemy and to utterly destroy them, wipe them out, leave nothing left. But Saul doesn't do that. He, um, he fails. So Samuel the prophet, the pro Samuel's the prophet that's around at this time. He, uh, the word of the Lord comes to him and he says, 
I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not, has not carried out my instructions. You see, he's saying Saul's heart has turned away from God. And he's disobeyed him. He's not carried out instructions. Um, and if you read through this chapter, you, you kind of get the impression that Saul was a, a bit whiny and kind of making up excuses. Oh, And his mentality is, well, I know I've done it wrong, but it's okay because I'll just throw a few carbs on, on the altar and, and do a bit of sacrifice into God. You know, just say sorry. That's okay, isn't it? As long as I say sorry, it doesn't matter that I, got it, I did it wrong and I didn't obey. And somebody replies to this by saying, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord in the first place? It's a matter of the heart. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. This is God saying, I want your heart, not just your sacrifices. And then later on in the chapter, we get to the, the heart of, of why Saul behaved this way. As you can see, he was, he was fearful of his men. It was his men that said, come on, let's have a bit of plunder. Let's bring home some sh nice sheep and some nice fattened calves and we can all have a good time. And they brought the king out as well. He was alive. He should have stood up to his men. He was the king. But he was scared of his men. And he, and he went, oh, okay, let's do it your way. The fear of man was greater than the fear of God. If we compare that to David in the cave, he had these 600 men saying, kill him, come on, kill him. And David was like, no, we're doing it God's way. So there's a direct comparison there. So that's all. Um, was David perfect? No. Um, Rob pointed out last, last week some of his shortcomings. And, of course, he's famous for having an affair with the beautiful Bathsheba. And then he got her pregnant, and he tried to cover up the pregnancy. He tried, but it didn't work out. So he was like, okay, we'll just murder the husband. Affair and murder. God was not impressed with this, and he did punish David for this severely. Um, so actually, to some degree, there's a similarity here between Saul and David. They've both failed. They've, they've both done things that are wrong. But it's the heart that's different. David had a heart for God. We read, we read in Acts 13, um, God testifies, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And he will do everything I want him to do. He will love me. He will obey me. And there's other clues that David, in the Bible, that David had a massive heart for God. Uh, on one occasion, when the, the ark was coming into Jerusalem, he made a bit of a fool himself. He danced and leaped before the ark. It was probably some sort of form of daddy dancing. And people were, some people were laughing at him, but he didn't care. He loved his God. He also, at, th at this point, the, the ark of God lived in a tent, and David lived in a palace of some sort. And he was like, I can't live in a palace and my God reside in just a tent. I said, I'm going to build God a temple. He really, he really wanted to do this. And he was like, all set to do this. And then he was told through the prophet, actually, this is not for you to do. Your son will build the temple. 
but his heart was there. And his heart was so there that he actually prepared all the materials for the temple. He got the gold, the silver, the wood, the stone, etc. Stockpiled it. He did as much as he possibly could prepare for this temple. But he wasn't allowed to build the temple. And another clue. We have 150 psalms, approximately half of which were written by David. If you read those psalms, they're so intimate. This is a guy that knew his God, who loved his God. His heart was sold out for God. We're going to move on now from, from the cave and from David. And I'm going to move on using those two threads of the heart and God's timing. And I want to share a little bit of my journey. This is me. Look how much hair I've got. What went wrong? Um, this, I think, is my 21st birthday to the very day. And as you can see at the bottom of the, the picture, there's the, the happy birthday cake. And this, this looks like a, a standard happy birthday shot, doesn't it? There's, a, there's me cutting the cake and there's me smiling. But I can specifically remember looking at the camera, knowing that I had to smile, but there was nothing inside of me that wanted to smile. smile. At that point in my life, I was utterly, utterly broken. I was hopeless, I was lonely, and having to smile was really, really hard. So how did I get into that position? It started, I guess, about when I was 11, when I went to secondary school. Socially speaking, I totally failed. I did not fit in, it did not work out for me at all, and it completely ripped any confidence out of me. And it went on through the years to college and to university. Um, I could literally count on one hand the number of times that I socially saw people, either at the weekends or the evenings. And the weekends, the evenings, I was totally Billy No Mate, completely. In, in educational hours, I would have very shallow friendships etc. Nothing deep at all. And that is a, a whole decade of my life. It, in really formative years of my life, in my teenage years as well. So here I am at 21 and I'm, I'm really broken and really hopeless. So that's how I got to that position. But of course I want to share how I got out of that position, which is the good bit. So two years prior to this photograph is when I became a Christian at 19. And I did all the right things, went to church, read my Bible, prayed, tithed. I even tried fasting and failed miserably at fasting. Um, I was a Christian. And I went to a really big, vibrant church. It probably had about 300 students going to it every Sunday. The worship was absolutely fantastic. I was too scared to talk to anybody, but I enjoyed going there. And in those two years, my life didn't really move forward. I didn't particularly grow in God. I read the Bible. But there was no massive growth in me. And there was no growth in, in my confidence either. But it, so here I'm at 21. This should be the prime of my life. But I'm totally failing. And I discover in town there's a vineyard church. A vineyard, the vineyard church is the church that I was converted at. And I thought, I'm going there. And I go to this church, and it was more right for me it was a family church of maybe 80, 90 people. And you can't hide in a church like that. I could hide in the big student church, but you can't hide in a smaller church. 
And I didn't want to hide anymore. And I made a decision. And it was the, it was the most important decision I've made in my walk with God. I knew God could fix me. I knew he could. And the decision was, God, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you my whole heart. And I knew that as I gave God my everything, he would heal me. Admittedly, there's, it's slightly selfish, that, isn't it? I'll give you myself because I know you fix me. But I've matured a bit now. I just give God my heart because I, I love God. And from that moment forwards, God started to heal me. If you want some sort of measure of time, I was engaged to Sharon five years later. So she, she certainly wouldn't have mar- wanted to marry me when I was like that. So it took, it took five years for God to, to bring healing to me and to restore me, make me more confident. And of course, as you're work, walk, walking that journey, you want to be fixed straight away. But these things take time, don't they? And I, that, during that journey, it was just, no, God, I'm going to keep seeking you, seeking you, and giving you my heart. Right. So, moving on, um, and taking this heart theme forwards, I want to look at 2 Timothy 2.20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So here we have a passage which is kind of likening us to a house. The, the house of God, the body of God. And each one of us is, is like an article in the house. Broadly speaking, it's kind of sort of saying they're like a two-tier system. You've got the basic articles, and then you've got special articles that are, are, are gold and silver. And what it's saying here is that any one of us can be one of those special articles. It's not reserved for anyone special. We have to seek God and cleanse ourselves and make ourselves holy. I bought um, for my home a special article. This, is a, this was a wedding gift many years ago. It is a, a cake slice. And uh, we just always kept it in the, the, the presentation box that it came in. And it comes out for cake. Um, for, and that's usually when we have some friends over. And so we'll chop up the cake with this. Because of this talk, I, I looked at it and I thought, oh, it could be really precious. Could be so. I looked at what it's made of and the, the blade is stainless steel and I thought, oh, what's the handle made of? And it says tin. <laughs> oh, well. So that, that's, the, that's the special article that we have in our house. I've also brought along um, a common article for my house. It's um, some poo bags. <laughs> we are a dog owner. And these, these will get used on a daily basis. They're not special at all. They're, they're, they're just poo bags. So, in one hand, I have a special article. And in one hand, I've, I've got poo bags. Which do you want to be? If you could choose, you are members of this house of God. What do you want to be to God? Do you want to be something that's made holy? Or do you want to be common? 
A way that you, you shouldn't interpret this passage is, is one of judgment. So it would be wrong for me or anyone to go, you know what, I'm a cake slice, and I know it. And when I look at you lot, do you know what I see? <laughs> I see not a cake slice. Um, the way you should interpret this passage is it's between us and God. And it's, it's like this. It's, God, I want to serve you. I want to be holy for you. There's nothing I want more, Lord, than to be a cake slice for you. I want to be useful for you in this kingdom of God. Um, another way you might look at it, I'm just going to grab a chair. So if I sit on this chair and I sit like this, and I'm, I'm, in, a, and I'm in a slouch position, am I making myself holy? If, is my body language saying I'm making myself holy? No, my body language is like, I'm just relaxing. Am I seeking God like this? No, I'm just relaxing. You see, as Christians, it's not a spectator sport. We are called to seek God. This verse here, it's saying, let's make ourselves holy. Cleanse ourselves. This is an active verse. This is not a sit still and do nothing verse. Um, Okay, I want to now look at um, an illustration of time. So this is my family. The lady on the left, uh, the 1906 picture, she is my great-grandmother. And on her lap is my grandmother. And the lady on the right, mid-1990s, is my grandmother when she's old. The lady in the deck chair, my great-grandmother, she was called Lizzie. She, I understand, I've never met her. She died long before I was around. She was a passionate Christian. She, she, she would lead worship in her house. She had a, some sort of hand-powered organ. And so she'd have someone pumping this thing, I guess, and she'd be playing out the worship music. Sounds like a, a life group to me. I also found out yesterday, as I spoke to my mum, she, she was a preacher as well. But her daughter, my nan, she didn't get on with this. It was a, it was a turn-off to her, all this God stuff. And her mother would preach and she'd speak in tongues. And the daughter was like, oh, no, I don't like that. That's not for me. And actually, I think at some point in her life, she sp- a switch went in her heart and she was like, no, I'm, I'm not interested in God. <clears throat> and you can imagine the mother in that position would have been praying and praying and praying for her daughter. Lord, would you grab my daughter's heart? you bring him into the kingdom she was probably praying for half her life for her daughter and she went to her grave and her daughter wasn't interested in God but do you know we have a faithful God and the grandchildren came along that is myself and my sister and uh, our granny was getting getting old and both of us simultaneously just felt something on our hearts that we need to engage with our nan and say nan 
we want to see you in heaven. So I was going around there and, and reading the book of John to her on a fairly regular basis. And she was listening, and it was probably going in here, but it hadn't got to here. And then my sister, who lives in Norway, she came over and she said, this is it. I'm going to go up. She was really scared, really scared. I'm going to go over. I'm going to lay it out on the table. Nan, we want to see you in heaven. So she goes over there. But one of the, one of the concerns was that she was quite old at this point, and uh, her mind was starting to go. Would she actually grasp the concept of the gospel? Would she be able to make an informed choice? So she goes around there. And the Holy Spirit had rewound um, our nan by about 15 years. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and the Holy Spirit had enabled her mind um, so that she could make a decision. So she was given the basic gospel, and she said yes to Jesus. And they prayed for her, and the Holy Spirit came on her very clearly. Um, and then when they left, uh, she got up from her chair, which she hadn't done for years because she was just too old. It was a lot of effort for her in those years to get up from her seat. She got up from her seat, and she came to the front window to wave them goodbye as they, as they went to their car. And she hadn't done that for so long. And as she stood there, she was glowing, physically glowing glowing. It was night time and let's say the windowsill was sort of here the, and she's on the inside of the, of, the, of the house and on the outside on the patio in front of her, the patio is lit up by the, the glow the presence of God and like <laughs> they wanted to drive away but they were witnessing a miracle. It's like hi gran <laughs> didn't want to leave but of course they had she had seen Jesus, yeah. Um, so that's an example of a mother who was praying and praying and praying, and she didn't see the fruits of her prayers until after she was dead. I've, I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes we pray and we see things fall apart in our lives. And we don't understand that, do we? But whether we see things straight away, whether we things take years and years and years uh, to come, or if we see things falling apart in front of us, God is still God. He doesn't change who he is. And he is worthy to be worshipped. Just another example is Terry here. He was baptized uh, a few weeks ago. And your Godfather prayed for 25 years for you until you saw a change. So let us keep pushing in to God. Whether we see things happen or not, that's irrelevant. Our duty is to surrender our hearts, seek God, seek God. So at the moment I've been fairly kind to you, but now I'm going to throw in some Brussels sprouts. How could I possibly forget the Brussels sprouts? And for those of you who don't know what I mean by that, um, last time I spoke, I likened Brussels... I, Brussels sprouts are horrible to me. I liken Brussels sprouts to those difficult verses, those verses that are a little bit harder to, to swallow, but they're still 
the word of God, aren't they? Whoever wants, this is Jesus speaking, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life, that is, be selfish and do it their, their way, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, gives their heart wholly to God, they will find it. My second Brussels sprout. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. That's easy, isn't it? Believes, follows, obeys. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. These are heavy verses, but they are part of the Word of God. I think it's important now to bring a balance to these verses. The example we're following is David. But as I pointed out, he wasn't perfect. And None of us are perfect. We can. God is calling us to try our best to give our hearts to him. But we will fail because we're rubbish, aren't we? And we sin. But of course, that's why Jesus died on the cross for us, to cover our sins. That's why God has grace for us, because we are imperfect. But all we have to do is give God our hearts. There's things in my heart that are not right. I know that. I've been walking with God for 24 years. Still haven't gotten it right. Thank you, God, for grace. And I just continually open my heart to God and say, God, change me. Grow me. So where are you? Where are you in all of this? Where is your heart? It's interesting, the, the song that we were focused on, or the line we focused on, set the fire down in my soul. Do you want that? Because God, he really wants to set a fire in our souls. But he can't do that if our hearts are closed. For God to work in our lives, we have to have open hearts. So that is the challenge today. Is your heart open? Do you want more of God? Um, Rob was bringing his, what, he, what God said to him this week. Why? Why not? The challenge of why not? I think uh, the, one of the only why nots I can think of is us. If we're not willing to obey God, if we're not willing to open our hearts to God, that's why not. So we're going we're gonna to worship now. If I can ask the band to come back. Um, if you know your heart is not right, if you know you haven't surrendered yourself 100% to God, then now is your moment. Perhaps you've never given any of your heart to God. I'd really encourage you to engage with God. To, um, If you want to, come down the front and get prayer or get prayer from the people around you. But as we worship, let's, let's open our hearts to God. Let's surrender ourselves wholly and fully to him. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we want to fire on our hearts. And we don't want to be scared of that, Lord. We don't want to be scared of that, Jesus. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come as we do this final song. And we open and surrender our hearts to you, Lord. And even if there's pain in that, Lord, we want to surrender our lives to you.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, James.